All right, welcome to the Mystic and the Skeptic. Uh, this evening we're going to be discussing uh, uh, the Sacred Motion of the Cross. This is a book by John Allegro. Uh, John Allegro was a uh, one of the one of the scholars uh, associated with uh, the translation of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, if you're not familiar with them, uh, they were discovered in 1947. Uh, very shortly thereafter, uh, the uh, the Roman Catholic Church and some other some other uh, people. They put together a team to uh, translate the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, um, and uh, in that process, uh, John Allegro was one of the people who was uh, selected. He was a professor at Oxford University, an archaeologist, and also an etymologist, and uh, over his time working with the Dead Sea Scrolls and translating the Dead Sea Scrolls, he developed a, a what's considered to be a, a rather controversial theory about uh, the Judaic and Christian cults. Um, the, the, the personification of, or the person of Jesus uh, in, uh, within the Dead Sea Scrolls as compared to uh, the New Testament. Uh, after his time after his time translating the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, his, his work was this sacred mushroom of the cross and some of the other, other uh, things that he wrote were considered controversial because they were counter to the, the standard predominant narrative of, of Jesus, the historical Jesus and the, uh, the, uh, the um, beginnings of Christianity and so uh, that's what we'll be discussing tonight I find it to be a, a very interesting topic and I find Allegro's theories to be rather compelling um, other, other information has come, uh, has come about over the years with respect to his theories and there's quite a bit of, of uh, information online as well with respect to, to his theory. And basically his theory is, is that uh, Jesus uh, in, the, in the, the New Testament and also within the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, may have been based on an actual historical figure, but uh, based on his um, studying of the Dead Sea Scrolls, he, he also believes that the, the name Jesus refers to um, the cultic use or the uh, the ritualistic use of the Amanita muscaria mushroom, uh, known for its uh, psychoactive properties. And so uh, we'll, we'll get started. What interests me a lot about what John Allegro and other authors have talked about is, is this story I find to be very compelling because I had experience with psychedelics. And um, I've had experiences with uh, psilocybin mushrooms, uh, LSD, and also the Amanita muscaria. Um, in in those experiences, I've I would term it, and, and others have termed it this way, and, and based on my the, the readings that I've done over the years and different conversations I've had, uh, I would my feeling is is that is that the 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 euphoria or the experience, the transcendental transcendental experience of psychedelics connects you to a, a deeper self, uh, your cosmic self, uh, the the. The, inter- the eternal soul that that, make, that is a part of all of us, if, you, if you're going to put it in, in that way. The narrative that John Allegro weaves with respect to the New Testament and, and uh, with respect to the, the ancient Sumerian fertility cults and the use of, of different uh, plants by this, the fertility cults and also by different uh, religious groups throughout the world or um, indigenous groups throughout the world is that there's something to... These, these substances that have a lot of power. And what I find compelling about John Allegro's theory is that 
is that the, the power of the substances could very, in my mind, could very easily over time transform into a, relig- a ritualistic religious type uh, setting. And, um, and so I was, raised, I was raised Roman Catholic. And the story of, of like you had said, the, the story of the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the, 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 the original interpretation of these, of these books based on the New Testament, which was compiled 200 or so years after the time of Christ, we, which is the theory, that story that I was, was taught in, as a Roman Catholic uh, is, is, is in a lot of ways, it's, in some ways it's similar, but in a lot of ways it's contradictory to these, to, to these new theories that, that came about after the finding of the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and um, some, of the, some of the different um, Hebrew and Aramaic language within it. And, um, and in my mind, um, the story is important. And, and it should, should be, as we evolve as a species in this, this story that has a very huge impact on our culture, as we evolve as, as humans and as a culture, it's important that we, that we get as close to as possible to the uh, the original meaning or the original story, because I think that there's a lot of power in that. And for the longest time, the story and the narrative has been, in my mind, controlled by certain groups. And anything throughout history, throughout the the, the, the Middle Ages, throughout the Renaissance, and and, and even today, yeah, the story is is anything that's counter to the official narrative is attacked. Or, or demonized, or, or like, hey, let's just push this under the rug. And, and my thought is, is that it should be openly discussed, and we should, we should delve into the mysteries and the power that brought these stories into being. I've had, in our initial conversations, David and I have discussed it, and one of the things that David said, which I agree with, is that the story that, that John Allegro puts forth within this book is, is somewhat outrageous. My, my thought was is that, yes, it is outrageous, but a lot of things that, that, that turn out to be true on a scientific level or true after time has bared them out, more evidence comes in. A lot of those, those things that are initially outrageous over time become you know, generally accepted truths or become a, a part of the, the, the story. So. I would like to share um, my perspective on this topic. I, I come from... Uh, well, let me tell you the story. When I, when I, I grew up, I was um, studying about different religions, uh, and I was an artist, and they showed us in high school a movie of uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat. And I had a really hard time taking his uh, life story um, seriously because it was a story of him becoming a famous artist but at the same time participating in different drugs and then through the whole time not being able to tell the difference between reality and hallucinations and fantasy back and forth. And he got taken advantage of by the art community in the process, and then he died. So I remember one of my fellow artists say, um, so you only like drug-free artists? Because we had just seen another video of an artist who was taking uh, LSD or cocaine, and he would make all these amazing art pieces. To bring it back to my perspective on this is that I feel that there's a way to connect with spirituality. There's a way to connect with what makes life meaningful without participating in those type of experiences. On the other hand, uh, personal experiences are, are very important in educating our relationship to religion, to spirituality. So 
there's a back and forth regarding that. Um, but I, I really feel that for us to, to take this book um, at face value, we have to assess it from the scientific method, from you know rational um, arguments. And the, the things that I keep on seeing in, in, the, in the book is that it goes a different route because when you put it under peer review, and it was when it first came out, when you study it from uh, the history of religions and you know just religious studies, a lot of the things that he's saying are not only contrary to the to mainstream perspective, but they're you can't even measure the stuff that he's saying because it's so conspiratorial. So I really want to get down to the facts behind the the claims that he makes, both linguistically and historically, and and from a religious studies perspective and and I don't want to sound biased or that I have uh, something against the claims that he's making but I, I want to make sure that if we put it under the the microscope of those fields that there are things that are very hard to prove and we can make uh, arguments on other things uh, in the same way so again we want to have a, a very uh, open discussion a, a, an open way to look at it but um just to know that I'm coming from the perspective that, that, that I find a lot of things that he says uh, problematic. Can you give us a, um, like an overview of the book and some yeah. of the claims? Yeah, so uh, John Allegro starts the book off with, with a discussion of uh, the ancient Sumerian fertility cults. And uh, in his discussion of the ancient Sumerian fertility cults, he, he talks about this, this belief that was common amongst those cults that that, uh, which is common amongst a lot of indigenous traditions and within a lot of mythical traditions about the creation of, of mankind, the creation of the earth, creation of, of animals and everything. And the, this particular group, uh, which, which he theorizes was the beginning of the Judaic and Christian cults, had, had a certain anthropomorphication of God. And it's common amongst a lot of indigenous people to, to anthropomorphize God. And, and by anthropomorphication, for, for people who not, are not familiar with the term, that is taking human attributes and applying to it, applying human attributes to something that's not human, like the cosmos or or the, uh, a plant. Um, and so, they their belief was essentially that that um, that the, that there was a sky penis god, and the rain the rain that fell on the earth was the sky penis's god's semen. And the earth was the womb, was the was the woman, and in the creative process of life, the the rain comes down, fertilizes the plants, that that feeds the animals, and the the, the humans feed off the plants and, and feed off the animals for survival. And um, with within this uh, within this uh, this this cultic myth about the creation of man. Um, the, the the theory is is that that, that the, one of the ways that that this this group may have come up with this idea is through the ingestion of psychedelic plants, and the theory within his book and, and others that that uh, have talked about the subject is that the Amanita muscaria was was a was was like was the likely uh, substance that they ingested um, that that gave them this belief in in God and in creation and all these things. And they, the, they further anthropomorphized God in this idea of the creation myth in the image of the mushroom, which was the mushroom that this the substance that gave them this this idea. 
and uh, and so the, the mushroom took on its own symbolism within these cults. And if you're if you're thinking about over a thousand thousand you know thousand year periods of time, these cults became to be more relig- ritualistic. They had their their own customs within the cults, and then over time it, it morphed into uh, established religions. Uh, and then uh, uh, what it goes beyond that, and and uh, he explains how how um, how these how the Judaic religion and also the Christian the Christian cults were their predecessors or or the the tradition that they came from were these ancient Sumerian cults. And the, the way that he comes to this theory is is he was an etymologist, and etymology is is studying the the relationship between uh, different languages. So the uh, uh, Semitic languages of Hebrew and Aramaic, their common source was Sumerian. Um, and so he takes, he had, he had knowledge of the Sumerian language already. That's why he was selected to be a part of this team to translate the Dead Sea Scrolls because they were predominantly in Hebrew and Aramaic. And through this process, he, he's, he's finding these connections between Sumerian words that were used within the, these fertility cults and names within the New Testament, and names within uh, different names of the different prophets, the names of the apostles, the names of Jesus, the name of Jesus himself, and he he can, he connects these names to Sumerian root words, which which relate to uh, life-giving semen, or or um, or uh, the name the the, Sumer- the different Sumerian names for the mushroom. He he further he further uh, develops this this uh, based on those translations that he was working on he 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 started connecting the dots to not only the Christian and Judaic uh, fertility cults but other fertility cults throughout the world and he focuses on the um, the uh, the talk of the soma within the Rig Vedas and and uh, different theories have been uh, soma was like a was like a a, a drink that was struck by initiates within um, the religion that uh, brought, brought the Rig Vedas into being. And the theory is, is that the, the Soma was a mixture of different psychoactive plants and, and that uh, there was ritualistic use of this Soma. And, and uh, the, the names for, for Soma and, and the, the different plants that were involved with uh, the mixture of Soma are also within the Bible, within the New Testament. And so, uh, connecting it with the, the, the development of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the New Testament, he, he kind of paints this narrative of what was happening during the time of Christ, during the time of this, this uh, figure of Christ. And, and uh, what he says is, is that uh, during that time, there were a number of Jewish um, and Christian cults that, were, that, uh, that existed in Jerusalem at the time when the Romans took over and were occupying Jerusalem. And there's a historical period of time during the 60 to 70 AD where the, there was a Jewish revolt. There was a revolt against the, the Roman occupation. And his theory is, is that the, uh, the, the Romans, because of this revolt, were cracking down on the, the different Jewish groups and also the, the Christian sects. And um, his theory is, is that they were forced to put their oral tradition, their, their oral fertility cult tradition, to, into writing. And they did it in such a way that was common with a lot of, of mythical writings. They used wordplay, and they used different symbolism and, and, and uh, cryptological symbolism 
to express their teachings so that only the only people who could understand it were the were the people who had some knowledge of this cult, the initiates or or people who who were actually literate. Because at the time most people weren't literate, um, as opposed to today. So so he weaves this narrative of uh, certain these, this this kind of conflict between certain sects, and there was some sects that that sided with the Romans because they figured it was probably a good way for them to survive, and there were some sects that were completely against the Romans. So there's two different narratives of Jesus. Now you have the, the narrative of the New Testament, which is Jesus, this peaceful person who is friendly to the Romans. The narrative of Jesus within the Dead Sea Scrolls is completely opposite. He's he's he has a peaceful mindset about life. But he's also a revolutionary figure. Jesus in the Dead Sea Scrolls is presented as this uh, this leader who is uh, very upset with the Roman occupation. He's upset. This group is also upset with um, the, the the siding of certain of their brothers with the Romans, and so uh, the, so that Jesus in this in the Dead Sea Scrolls is. A revolutionary figure. He wants to go fight the Romans, and and the theory, and and also within the Dead Sea Scrolls, it talks about how there was multiple Jesus figures, multiple people who rose up against the Roman occupation and were crucified as a result. And uh, the word Christian, um, it, it, it connects it back to the Sumerian roots, and. Um, the word Christian means it's it's a it's a Greek word Christos. It's come from uh, uh, because the, the New Testament was um, was uh, written in Greek or compiled in Greek based on Aramaic and Hebrew, and so Christian means the Anointed One. And 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 uh, and just to go back a little bit, the de- the, the theory is is that the Dead Sea Scrolls were compiled and written by or were written by uh, the Essenes. Um, a, a, a very fundamentalist group that uh, that uh, uh, practice uh, abstinence from from sexual intercourse. They they were also known as healers. They they had they had a knowledge of, of the healing power of psychoactive plants and different plants. And the tradition amongst the Essenes was is that they would go into the city, the, the cultural centers, the city centers, and heal and spread their message. And so the theory is is that the, the people who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls were the Essenes. And they wrote it to protect their knowledge of the plants, and uh, so through a series of—I mean, this whole book is, is essentially just connecting the names within the Bible with different plant names. And he he, he refers to uh, the historians Pliny and uh, Josephus to kind of weave this narrative. And um, so his theory is, is that there was two different groups of Christians that's that uh, two predominant groups of Christians that survived the the. Roman occupation and survive the, the Roman uh, uh, strike against the Christians. It's, it's the one group that was friendly to the, to the Romans, and the other group that was that was forced underground uh, because of their because of their their practices and because of their teachings, their anti-Roman teachings. And so um, later on in, in history, later on in history, you had the, the compilation the compilation of the New Testament books. Uh, in 200 AD or so, and then you have later on you have um, the Roman Emperor Constantine adopting Christianity as the official religion of of the Roman Empire. And so, what what he's basically saying is is that during this time, this very uh, tumultuous time, there was there was um, 
a lot of things lost about the original the original knowledge of these people, the original practices of these people, because they were forced underground. And um, and the 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 predominant theory of Christ, or the, the predominant um, uh, you know, history of Christian religion, is that Jesus was friendly to the Romans. That morphed into the the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, during the Reformation, people broke off from the Roman Catholic Church, and, and you know here we are today. And what's interesting about the Dead Sea Scrolls is that when they were translating these, the Church, the the, the Roman Catholic Church was was very surprised at what they were finding out. They were hoping that because this was an earlier writing at the time of the Jewish Revolt, that it would confirm the story of the New Testament, this the story of Jesus in the New Testament. Well, it was actually opposite of, of the official narrative of Jesus. And for a long time, the church uh, kept a lot of the different segments of the Dead Sea Scrolls because they were afraid of the impact that it might have. And it wasn't until the 1990s by just some happenstance scholar in a library where he found these on a shelf somewhere. And then that, that's, when the, um, that's when it all came, came to light again. And so getting back to what I, said, what I was saying earlier, it's, for me it's important... To, to understand the, the root of these these uh, religions, and to have an idea of maybe a different uh, a different narrative or a different story about what what uh, Christ was about and what these early religions were about, because religion is very important within our culture. It has a lot of power, and the the narrative of Jesus within that context has a lot of power. And if our our original interpretation or the political interpretation of Jesus is is not correct, then I think it's important that that this alternative theory is is brought into brought into light. After studying religion for ten years, you come to that point where you're like, there's amazing things you can learn from different things. You, there's um, also horrible things you find out. Uh, you see the conflict that goes on, and then there's a point where you say, you know what? I just want to help people. I just want to make a difference. And if this form of religion spirituality can make me a better person that's wonderful but if it, after you consume it or are part of it you, be, you come out worse then you know that it's not healthy um, but the, the conversation we're having today about the book is that um, part of the show's uh, purpose is to still have an objective um, understanding of truth and, and looking at the are things reasonable? Are things um, you know, comprehensible? Are things uh, compelling? And uh, I think that people's personal experience and also getting burned out with all of this stuff is, is very important. Um, my concern with the book comes from some of the liberties that he takes. It's kind of like artistic liberty. So one of the problems I, I would mention is kind of his obsession with sexualizing the Bible. Uh, one example is that he writes... Um, there's this passage in the Bible where Moses comes out, comes from the mountain after seeing God, and he has a covering over his face. Well, he takes that to mean that the covering is a symbol of the uncircumcised phallus. And in Jewish sources, the circumcision is the size of the covenant of Sinai, and without it you can't experience God. So he's actually using a symbol that is not part of, of Jewish religion to push his claim and then he talks about the phallus over and over again but the phallus was a symbol of, of the Canaanites who were the enemies of the Israelites and a lot of 
people would say that historically, when they were writing the the story, they were writing in opposition to the other groups. So there there is connections between the Sumerians and the different groups with the ancient Hebrews and Israelites, but the book a lot of the books were written in in conflict or in in opposition to some of the things that they found um, conflicted. So the idea of, of God in the Bible is that he is genderless. Even though they use male language for him as a ruler, a sovereign, uh, all these masculine terms have to do a lot with the language. Just like in Spanish, some things are arbitrarily male or female. Back then, um, those terms were male or female, and they had a strong patriarchal system. So that's where a lot of stuff comes from. In psychology, they say that it has to do with people having father issues or sexual issues, stuff like that, when they try to look at the Bible. But if you look at it from its original intent, and even now, as we study uh, from a scholar perspective, uh, this parallel mania where we try to connect every religion with every other religion, when we know that a lot of the things they're saying are conflictive and self-exclusive, to me, that's one of the issues. The second issue is that there is a vast conspiracy in his perspective. In page 20, he says that Christianity under its various names had been thriving for centuries before the church. And as we now appreciate, it was a more original code that was driven underground by the combined efforts of the Roman, Jewish, and ecclesiastical authorities. It was the supreme heresy which became on, uh, made terms with secular powers and became the church of today. So to him... The Romans, the Jews, and the early church all had it against the original writers of the Bible. Again, if you if you compare uh, what Romans were saying about Christians, what Jews were saying about Christians, what Christians were saying about Christians, with what he's saying, there's very little evidence because you have people who have issues with the, the first Christians, and and there some of them are saying that they're doing things that are bad for the Roman Empire. The Jewish community has issues with them uh, making splinter groups that are walking away from the overall nation. And then the, the ecclesiastical authorities were actually supporting the case for a new religion to take over the world. So he has this, like, everybody's trying to come after his claim, but again, we have to look at his claim. The next point, um, in the Bible, there's 115 plants mentioned, and they never mention mushrooms. And out of those plants, there's there's a couple that could be considered to have some type of hallucinogenic or psychotropic uh, aspects, but they're not used in that form in the Bible. So acacia is used to build the Ark of the Covenant. Well, acacia was the only tree that was available in the desert, and they weren't smoking it, they weren't talking about smoking it. So when you look at, at all the, the plants that are mentioned, not all of them have to do with supernatural experiences. Some of them are just mentioned like somebody was passing by a tree or they grabbed a fruit or something. So this everything has to relate to plants that bring about some mystical experience. It's problematic. Uh, the next one, uh, the people in the Dead Sea community, they weren't Gnostics. They were apocalyptic triumphalists like, like the Apostle Paul. So these were people who, instead of living in the in the mountains because... They uh, they wanted to keep this tradition alive. They were living in the mountains because they felt that the world was going to hell and that they needed to protect themselves against the end of the world. So, And their knowledge was, was something that was available to everyone in that group, and it was knowledge that had to do with 
the scriptures. It had to do with their interpretation of the scriptures. It had nothing to do with having secret meetings and secret societies and stuff like that. That's something that later on has become very popular in modern culture to try to kind of say that everything has this hidden agenda, but they they were separate because they didn't like what was going on in the rest of the community, and they had their own practices. But when you read the practices, they all have to do with prayer, with piety, with doing uh, community work. The next one is that I've read four books about the Dead Sea Scroll, and none of them have to do with Jesus or the early Jesus followers. The Dead Sea Scrolls were written by a group of Pharisees who left uh, the temple because it had been corrupted by the Romans and the Sadducees, and they had their own community. So this idea that Jesus has something to do with the Dead Sea Scrolls, the idea that the Catholic Church is, is keeping the Dead Sea Scrolls to hide the true nature of Jesus, Jesus is not mentioned. There's a leader that is mentioned, and most scholars say they had nothing to do with Jesus. It was a previous leader that had to do with the, the Sadducees. And the Catholic Church had a hold of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and some Protestant scholars did too, and they fought with the Israeli government for a lot of years to um, publish them. So then finally the Israeli community was able to get a hold of them, and they were the ones that uh, printed them and got them out. But it was because they were taking forever to translate them. So once they got out, there was also this idea that the the Christians were defining the, the people of the Dead Sea as monks or as other things, but those are fabrications. The the people in the in that community were devout Jews and they were fighting against the forces that were going on at that time. So there was no uh, the only reason they didn't have um, many women in the group and there is some tombs where they found women and children is because they were fleeing from the Romans. And then the idea of them being healers is also problematic because in none of the writings they talk about amulets or any magical stuff. They were very strict. They they had issues against the occult, just like the early Israelites. So, um, and then the term cult. Cult means that a group of people are following an, uh, a charismatic leader or uh, have this very uh, kind of conflictive idea towards the mainstream religion. Uh, both Judaism and Christianity, I guess when they started, they were cultic because they were separate from the other religions, but they have become world religions. So the term cult gives it this aura of it being hidden and mystical and stuff like that, but they're not cults. They're world religions. They're well-established. They have parameters and ways to measure them. And they could be the early version of it, but it's still within a world religion. Uh, the idea of the the people from the, um, from the Dead Sea Scroll community having any type of connection with uh, 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 some type of potion, stuff like that. The only thing that I found in the Bible is the anointing oil for the priest, and that's something that we're talking about, the Christ figure. Anointing oil, most of the elements in the anointing oil that we still know about from uh, Judaism and biblical uh, uh, archaeology, they were all fragrances. They were like frankincenses and things like that, that all they do is like mellow you out. They don't put you in a trance or put you in an ecstatic kind of uh, perspective, and that's something important. I also wanted to say that uh, from the research of scholars, Judaism uh, and uh, ancient Judaism, uh, they there is no evidence that it was an ecstatic religion that it had to do with connecting with some type of altar state. Uh, this is a quote from Alan Brill, 
By the 1920s and 1930s, after collecting data in oracles, meditation, and shamanism, scholars considered the category of revelatory religion to be exclusive domain of the Semites. So what they're saying is that if you compare what people were doing in South America, what people were doing in, uh, in Native Americans, people in India, to what was going on in the Middle East, it's completely different. Their, their form of revelation, their form of connecting with the elements of God has different uh, parameters and different ways to deal with that knowledge of the eternal or uh, this all of the universe. So to, to just say that all of them believe in the same things, all of them held uh, plants in the same high steam, is just this blanket uh, mixing of things that Joseph Campbell was famous for doing, but that when it really get down to it, they're very separate. And that's what makes them unique. Same with the Christians. The reason that the Christians became their own religion from Judaism is because they had a unique message. This idea that Jesus was a revolutionary is very problematic. Why? Because all the uh, leaders who came up with the pacifist movement, uh, they were quoting Jesus, Gandhi, Thoreau, MLK, and he was known for being pacifistic. So this idea that he was a revolutionary, and this is something that Reza Aslan does in his book Sell It, goes against everything that Christianity claims and what make Christianity unique and compelling to the people in the Roman Empire. They were tired of revolutionaries. They had Spartacus, they had all kinds of people fighting against the Romans. They had a figure who, who was all about peaceful resistance, and that's what made their message unique. So to start mixing everything up and try and portray things to meet the expectations of the writer, I think that's what I really uh, struggle with.